Welcome into 20th and Blake here on the Mile High Sports Podcast Network. I am your host, Drew Creaseman, and as always, I'm excited to be talking Colorado Rockies baseball with you today. Figured what I would do on today's show is kind of cover all of the around the Chris Bryant stuff, right? We, we've talked a lot about it. I've written a lot about it. Hopefully, you've, you've listened and, and you've read already on MileHighSports.com. And if not, you know, I recommend that you go back and check out some of that stuff but there are a few talking points that I haven't really been able to address just yet that I wanted to make sure that we wrapped up. And then I wanted to get into the deeper conversation about how does this impact the entire roster, everybody else on the team, what should we think about the Colorado Rockies, both in the short term and the long term term in the aftermath of this trade. And so I want to begin by a couple of things that I haven't really seen pointed out in too many places, though the first one I really have it. It's just worth reiterating the point over and over again that you can't make people want to play for your team. Now, I understand that the Rockies as an institution, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second, have done, especially recently, a terrible job of making themselves seem like a great place for great players to be. And a lot of fans and media have therefore just reached that conclusion, and especially with the way it ended with Nolan Arenado and Trevor's story. And I see a lot of people on Twitter, in fact, this is probably the biggest question I've seen on Twitter in the aftermath of the Chris Bryant acquisition, which is, why wouldn't the Rockies just give that money to Trevor Story or Nolan Arenado? But actually, as was reported this morning as I'm speaking, as, I, as I'm recording this, the Rockies apparently did offer that to Trevor Story. They offered him more than Boston did, and, and he ended up signing there. Now, that's both that, that's a good news, bad news situation, isn't it? One, it again proves that the Rockies are nowhere near as cheap as people claim, or that they're not even trying to win, as people claim, that they don't care about these things. But it does drive home that other point that, well, he didn't want to be here. And why is the second question, right? Because I think a lot of people are now coming to the recognition, like, why Chris Bryant and not those guys? The easiest answer to this question is Chris Bryant wanted to be a Colorado Rocky. Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story did not. Nolan Arenado, as much as people like to leave this part out of the conversation, and I don't know why, he demanded a trade. Simple as that. He demanded out. Trevor Story was offered a contract, a fair contract, uh, uh, apparently a better contract, and said no. And there is nothing that Bill Schmidt can do about that. And that's why I wanted to talk about this institutional knowledge, this conversation, because it's interesting to me, right? You you talk to most people, uh, you know, and you you say, God, what, what kind of conversation. You know, you you wouldn't put it this way, but basically people will tell you on their own, they can't stand politicians. They can't stand lawyers. Why? Those guys are full of it, right? They constantly talk in nonsense. They, They have all of these terms and all of these tricks, all of these ways of not answering questions. And one of the big ones that they have is treating an institution like it's a person. I'll give you a perfect example of something we've all heard in our lives before. The White House has put out a statement Buildings don't talk, right? We we all know that. The Capitol has put out a statement. The Rockies have put out a statement. Who are the Rockies? 
the 26 guys on the roster got together and agreed on a statement to put out? No. Did Dick Monfort say it? Did a, did a GM say it? And the reason politicians do this, right? The, re- the reason that regardless of party, they will say the White House has put out a statement as opposed to saying the president has put out a statement is because it allows you that separation between who's actually responsible for what's being said and what's being said. Now, that separation is working in a different way here when people talk about the Rockies, because the Rockies are an institution. They're not a person, and they're made up of a lot of different people over the years. The Rockies, at one point, were Dan O'Dowd and Bill Guyvet. But those two people, who were absolutely driving forces for the way the Colorado Rockies operated on a day-to-day basis, haven't been around the team for a long time, haven't impacted the way they operate at all. The Rockies aren't what they were when those guys were in charge. A lot of this is about just making every single thing that happens with the Rockies about Dick Monfort. It's a convenient excuse that has allowed people to not have nuance. And it's one of the big reasons why so many people are confused about this. Because they were absolutely convinced. And and I'm talking about oftentimes people in the media were absolutely convinced that getting rid of Nolan Arenado was about being cheap. It wasn't. It was about they alienated the wrong guy. They, They poisoned a personal relationship. And then they had nothing to do. They, they had no way out but to have to trade him. And they created... Now, now by they, do I mean the Rockies created that situation? Or did Jeff Breidich create that situation? Now, none of us know all of the answers to those questions. But this is part of the problem with assigning an entire institution blame for something that was clearly done by people. Humans. Many of whom aren't any aren't around anymore, aren't with the Rockies anymore, right? And so that's where a lot of this confusion is coming from because we tend to think as fans in kind of a separate, logical, by-the-numbers, you know, look. And, and why, why again, I get why people are saying, why wouldn't they just give that money to Arenado or, or Story? Why couldn't they just keep those guys? Because those guys didn't want to be here. End of story. <laughs> Walked into one last story pun, didn't I? But it is. It's it's the end of the story, literally and figuratively in this case, when the player doesn't want to be there anymore. And you've got to embrace a guy like Chris Bryant who does. And I already have seen a massive impact with the way he talks, with the way he shows his leadership, with the vibes that he brings. You know, just hearing some of the guys talking about him. And look, Everybody knew that for those last couple of years, Nolan was super unhappy and didn't want to be here anymore. He had made several comments to the press. He had made several comments, uh, you know, off the record and on the record. His attitude had, had clearly changed. He wasn't the same guy in the clubhouse that he was the first several years that I knew him. And I, I commented on that throughout. He just wasn't. He was never a vocal leader. He wasn't a guy who got involved in a lot of community projects. He didn't go out whenever the Rockies would do something like down at a bowling alley or a special thing in a movie theater or out with a charity event. Nolan was never at any of that stuff. And again, the guy's a phenomenal, he's the greatest third baseman to ever play the game. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And I have never in my life had a privilege quite like getting to watch that guy play baseball every day 
and get to have several one-on-one conversations with him. But that doesn't mean that he was perfect, and that doesn't mean that there's no ways in which somebody else being the leader of the team might be better for the team, especially when it comes to actual leadership and vibes and wanting to be there. It is tough to succeed as a baseball team when your most important player, maybe your two most important players, have got their eyes on their next destination. And again, you can move the goalposts and blame the Colorado Rockies for that, and that's fair. But again, the institution or the person who was running it at the time. Maybe a bit of both, but clearly that doesn't matter to Chris Bryant, right? And so you you can't extend your projection of how you feel about the Rockies and how you feel Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story feel about the Rockies. Also, I will say this. I don't think there's any real bad blood between Story and the Rockies. I really don't. I think he is just resigned to the next chapter in his life. There's definitely bad blood between Nolan and the Rockies. That's just clear. And and primarily, again, I think Jeff Breidich. And so Nolan even had some comments, you know, putting down this roster once again, saying basically, I, I guess he sees something... Yeah, I guess they think they can be competitive over there, basically kind of <laughs> mocking them. And yeah, Nolan, I, I think they do. And I get why fans and, and Nolan Arenado don't think that the Rockies can be competitive this year. But they're going to go out and, and try to prove it. I'll, I'll get back to a little bit more of that at the end. So what are a few other things that should be known about this acquisition that maybe aren't getting talked about a lot? One uh, is that, remember, he was originally scouted as a young pre-pro play as an amateur player by Bill Schmidt, who'd been the Rockies director of scouting for all those years. And Bill Schmidt was 100% ready to take Chris Bryant if he was still on the board. Of course, he got taken by the Cubs one pick ahead. Rockies end up going with John Gray. But there's a long-standing relationship here between Bill Schmidt and Chris Bryant. Another thing that I feel like Again, people are missing when they want to talk about the Rockies. And, and, and when they're really talking about the Rockies as an institution being full of institutional failure and having, like somebody said to me the other day, the Rockies have had the same philosophy for 20 years, which just is patently false. I can go back and show you all different, all the like six or seven times they've dramatically changed their philosophy, usually related to who the GM is at the time. And this may end up being one of those times. We don't know yet. We still need to see more from Bill Schmidt. But the fact of the matter is, I don't believe for one single solitary second that Jeff Breidich would have been able to sign Chris Bryant. Who the GM is as a person, not even necessarily their ability to negotiate. There's all different ways you can you know, be a, a productive GM, I guess I should say. Kind of like being a ball player, right? A productive GM. And we talked a lot about how Jeff Breidich would often fail at the the human parts of the game, uh, uh, on how he treated people or, or, you know, making people feel welcome. And Bill Schmidt does not have that problem. And so that you've got this guy who's a superstar player in the game, no doubt about it, absolutely no question. People trying to act like this is an overpay or that he's past his prime simply aren't looking at numbers. Like, I'm sorry, that's just, that's just not true. If Chris Bryant is an overpay, then Freddie Freeman to the Dodgers is an overpay. More of an overpay. Bryant is younger, (laughs) making less money, and has far more 
positional versatility. Now, I've talked about the positional versatility a little bit in terms of what it would allow the Rockies to do throughout the course of this season, right? Hey, if McMahon goes down for, actually, you might want one of those younger guys at third base, but you could have Bryant play third base if McMahon's got to go to the 10-day IL or first base if, you know, similar situation with Crone. He can move over and play right. In an absolute pinch, he could maybe play you a little bit of center field, though you don't want to do that all the time, right? But the other thing about that, so so throughout the course of the season, that can help you, even if ideally he spends most of his time in left. But for the future, and remember, this is a seven-year deal. And again, I understand a lot of people saying, well, the Rockies are just going to get rid of him. But again, that, that narrative that the Rockies are just going to get rid of Chris Bryant in a year or two is an old talking point that still is assuming that the reason the Rockies got rid of Arenado was to save money. But if the reason, if that had been true, then they never would have signed this deal with Chris Bryant. The Rockies got rid of Nolan Arenado because he told them to. Kind of as simple as that. And, you know, it wasn't about saving money. And so unless they, you know, poison their relationship with Chris Bryant, and I don't know, did they make similar promises about building around him? Did they say, we're going to go get more guys in free agency? And if two years from now, Bryant is saying, hey, where are the guys? And, you know, he's not used to losing. He's never really been on a losing team before. So if, you know, the, and I expect the team to not quite, you know, unless they make another move, I don't, I, I think they're about a 500 team right now. So what do, what are they going to do? in the future. But the plan is not to get rid of Chris Bryant. People saying, oh, that's just what they're going to do. They're, they're just going to sign him for a couple of years and then trade him so they don't have to pay the whole contract. That was that unless they alienate the player and he demands out, Chris Bryant's going to be around for a while. And I think that that's phenomenal. His positional versatility then becomes that much more important, not as a you know game to game thing, but a year to year thing, because we don't know yet what Ryan Valade, Colton Welker, Eliharos Montero, maybe some of these other guys are going to be able to do or not do. You know, and if it turns out that uh, Ryan Valade is a, a really, really capable outfielder, but some of these guys haven't panned out on the infield and, you know, CJ Crone's contract expires in another couple of years, you, you can move Bryant to first base. Or if, you know, there, there's any number of guys on the roster that are free agents, could be traded, any number of things where you can move around and say, well, at least this young player isn't blocked by the superstar on the team, right? Because in the past, any other years, now it's interesting that Trevor Story is apparently going to go play second base in Boston, but you wouldn't move Arenado or Story for a younger player. That would have just been ridiculous. And because so much of their value is wrapped up in their defense, it also wouldn't have made sense. So the fact that Chris Bryant gets 90% of his value from his bat, but also can play a perfectly capable defensive spot at really either corner infield or anywhere in the outfield it means that anybody that comes up on your roster if they're absolutely demanding it if they need those at bats if Eliharos Montero is just raking in AAA this year and you need to find a place for him you can find a place for him he's not going to be blocked by the best player on your team I think that's really interesting as you move forward as well to think about that him basically not blocking anybody Another thing that I want to remind people about is, you know, the the current situation of the budget. We've got to separate these two conversations between one, yes, the owner should always just just spend more. Like, yes, I wouldn't love it if 
Monfort would have allowed, and, and we'll still see if there are any further acquisitions, but if he would allow Bill Schmidt to sign Jorge Soler as well, or well, some people still got their fingers crossed for Michael Conforto, and that would be incredible. That would really, really get me looking at this roster, you know, in, in terms of they're going to get into the postseason. But imagine, look, look, I want to put it this way, since like as a longtime video game player, because Bill Schmidt, again, we've got to evaluate him on what he's he's done. And imagine, it's just like in a video game, right? When you take over as the GM of the Rockies and MLB The Show, you don't have the same budget that you do if you take over the Yankees or the Dodgers because that's just not realistic, right? That That's not how that team's spent. Your owner gives you a, a lower budget and you simply have to work inside of that. There's a number you can't go over and that is it, right? And... You've got the roster you've got. Bill Schmidt inherited most of this roster. Now, I know he was a scouting director, and so he had a part of building certainly all the guys who you know are internal growth guys. But he basically, uh, I, I, what I'm trying to say here is like, imagine yourself. Go back to the very beginning of this offseason. You can't go backward and do anything about making Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story happy. That is not an option on your desk, right? On your on your to-do list as the brand new, congratulations, by the way, I'm being named the brand new general manager of the Colorado Rockies. Now you've got this roster, right? With Nolan and, and Trevor gone. Now you can make some arguments about how Schmidt could have maybe done more to keep Trevor and John Gray. But again, he like came in at the 11th hour of those stories. Ah, walked into it again. <laughs> the ele- you know, and 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 I'll grant that you know that that he could have handled those situations a little bit better. You know, his first month of being a GM. Although it'll be really interesting to see how much better, for example, John Gray is in Texas than Chad Cool is, because he's getting paid quite a bit more money. Um, and last year they were not that far apart. Gray was better, don't get me wrong, but by ERA plus. Negligible, maybe. So, if you're handed the GM job with the roster as is, you're not going to sit there and go, boy, I wish I could just go back in time and undo the Nolan Arenado trade, or boy, I wish I could just go back in time and make it so that Trevor Story wants to stay here, or hey, I wish I could go back in time and sign John Gray and Trevor Story when they were their second years in the big leagues. And then they'd be getting way underpaid, probably. They'd be getting taken advantage of in ways that make the next CBA negotiation a real nightmare and something that players absolutely hate. But it would have been better for the team. You could have done it, and it didn't happen. But guess what? All of that stuff is in the past. There's absolutely nothing. The current front office of Bill Schmidt, also being informed, by the way, by Clint Hurdle and a totally new analytics staff. And yes, I know the hired head of that analytics team is is out and they have, they have not yet replaced Scott Van Lenten. But all those people are still doing their work. And all of those people are still reporting to Bill Schmidt. And he is still making those ultimate decisions. And he's doing what he can. And... Based on that criteria and not blaming him for, again, that institutional, oh my gosh, Rockies stuff. And saying, how has he done so far? I think pretty damn well. And I certainly don't believe that you can lob a lot of the same complaints at him or this team 
that people were getting really comfortable with over the last year or so, particularly the, that they're cheap, which has never really been the case. You can just look at numbers. That's one you can just look at. They've, they've never been cheap for their market. They just haven't spent well throughout most of their history. We'll see if this ends up being a good contract. I, I think it's going to be a perfectly fine one. It's not a steal. He's getting paid fair market value. It's so bizarre to me, too, that we just went through months and months of, I think, most people understanding that baseball players have a really difficult time getting fair market value because of the manipulation of the system, and that's wrong. And then Chris Bryant and Freddie Freeman get like fair market value, and fans almost universally call it an overpay. Because we've just been conditioned to believe that unless you're ripping the guy off, it's a bad deal. But I'm sorry, Chris Market, uh, Chris Market, Chris Bryant is just getting paid with the market says his fair value. And unless he has just a tremendous decline very quickly, I think he's going to be worth the value of his deal fairly easily. And we should all like appreciate that and want that to be. <laughs> more of a thing in baseball, not less. A couple other things on uh, additional you know, decisions that need to be made. Colorado Rockies outfield. If Chris Bryant is going to play left and it looks like Charlie Blackman is going to spend a certain amount of time in right and probably at DH. I also think that if healthy, Connor Joe has a really interesting uh, inside shot at another corner spot. But there are a lot of candidates here for these other two outfield spots. And it's going to be very interesting. So let's go through them really quickly. Let's put Charlie Blackman aside and just assume he'll be there in right some. He'll be at DH some. So who's going to be in right and center when Charlie's not out there, right? Well, as I mentioned, I think Joe has the best starting point, which is really interesting because he's got one of the like thinnest resumes. The big question about Connor Joe really is, you know, did this come out of nowhere? Did, was it just a lightning in a bottle situation? Was it a little bit of a fluke last year? Because he was very good. He was very, very good, especially in terms of just taking a great at bat, getting on base. You know, 117 OPS plus. You know, it's one of the better marks on the team. And especially leading off, he really set a tone for the games that it, it was palpable. You could tell. Everyone agreed, but Black was talking about it. He would go out there really set the tone with some great at-bats, see a bunch of pitches, take his walks. He could get into some when the guy was making a mistake. And, you know, not a lot of Rockies hitters throughout the years have really gone with that approach where it's very popular, you know, in a lot of the big market teams to essentially wait for that mistake and punish it. And if you never get it, take your walk and, you know, battle out anything that's kind of close. And and that's the style that Connor Joe brings. And so if if he can be what he was last year, he should start, quite frankly, in, in right field as, as much as possible. Then we get to the other group, which is all about this kind of difficult balance of floor and ceiling and potential versus safety, right? In my mind, Rymal Tapia is the safest pick, which I know sounds weird to people, but it, he's got the highest floor of them because we know what Rymal is. We know what he can do. We know what he can't do. You know, I know there are a lot of people who think he would be just a disaster in center field, but I just don't buy that. I know he makes some weird decisions sometimes, but the guy had like the third highest defensive run saved of anybody in left field last year. He's figured out some things. He's got tremendous athleticism. He's got a really underrated uh, arm strength, not accuracy. He throws it all over the place, but really good arm strength. 
Obviously, he's got the speed and the athleticism. Yes, he's going to make some decisions that make you scratch your head. But look, folks, if you're going to have Chris Bryant and Charlie Blackman in your outfield, defense isn't... <laughs> like You've clearly punted on the notion of defense. Mate. I, I'll get to the other guys in a second of the, the counter to this argument. But essentially, if you're not making defense a priority, you're going to have some moments in your outfield that you're just going to have to live with. But you want a guy who you know is a consistent bat. Essentially... The guy on this roster, and I would say including Connor Joe, who's the least likely to go 0 for 20 or, you know, a week without too many hits or strike out three times or four times in a game. Essentially, to get into the other player, kind of his polar opposite here, Sam Hilliard, right? Sam Hilliard's beginning to last season is exactly what I want to avoid if I'm putting together the lineup in the roster right now, which is to say he hit under 200 and he was striking out 40% of the time. Those are empty at bats. You're getting nothing. You're not moving a runner over. You're not getting sack flies. You're not putting a little bit of pressure on the defense or scaring the pitcher with some hard contact. Nothing. I mean, he was going up there and a lot of times in three pitches, you know, good afternoon, good evening, good night. And when you have that kind of hole in your lineup, when the re- when you don't have the star power to make up for it, it can really drag you down. So while Hilliard definitely has the highest ceiling of any of these players, and if he plays the way he finished last year, then he is absolutely the guy that you want to go with and have your outfield be Bryant, Hilliard, Joe. Now again, in center field, Hilliard is a good defender, maybe could become a great one because he's got excellent speed and size and athleticism and a phenomenal arm. He hasn't played center as much as he's played the corner spots. So, you know, he's less likely, I think, to make some of the big mistakes that Tapia tends to make. But I also think, you know, you're going to get late jumps and bad reads and stuff like that out of a guy who's just not quite as used to playing the position. But I still think you're going to have an above-average defender out there with Hilliard and the potential for 20 home runs and 20 stolen bases, but also the potential for him to be the worst hitter on the team who's providing you with nothing, right? And so if he's really hot in spring training, that's probably who I would go with. But if he's swinging and missing a lot, you know, I I think you've got to be really careful of that because I don't think you want to just be given away the first month of the season here. I think the Rockies have an opportunity to surprise some people. If they're going to have an opportunity to surprise some people, they can't get off to a bad start and they can't be doing too much experimenting with unknowns, right? And so Garrett Hampson and Jonathan Daza, those are your absolutely your best defensive options. They bring all the speed, all the defense, great capability there, but neither one of them has shown an ability to hit with any kind of consistency at the big league level, right? So those are guys who are intriguing. Now, Hampson can hit lefties so you could maybe try to get into some sort of platoon situation with Hampson and Hilliard in center Tapia being in there maybe some and then there's been some conversation about well should you trade one of these guys because there's too many of them for the spot right and I could see that though it all depends on what the return would be and you know how it shakes out on the roster but for me though you're, you're always going to need this depth and with the DH in tow as well you know, having it so that guys can move around a little bit, that you can use players like Daza or Hampson, who I do think those two players are the most redundancy that you have here. I'm not sure that you need both Daza and Hampson 
on the roster, but I also don't know which one of those guys. I would guess Hampson is is the one whose bat is going to develop the most. But Daza is by far the best defensive outfielder that the Rockies have. They can put him anywhere out there. He's tremendous. He can go get it with the best of them. And so it's just like, yeah, if, you know, you need that depth. You need your options for later in the game. But, you know, I don't think the Rockies have answered this question yet. And and I think that's fair. I think this needs to be a little bit of an open spring training conversation because there's a lot about all of these players that we just don't know yet. And I know a lot of people are excited about Connor Joe, but he's one of the guys we know the least about. You know, it was a great little run there for a minute. And it wasn't the smallest of sample sizes, but he doesn't have a resume yet. He just doesn't. If he can continue what he started out as, and he came out of basically nowhere, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful. And that is absolutely the best case scenario for the Rockies. The same way if Sam Hilliard just continues to improve on how he finished last season, that is absolutely the best case scenario for the Rockies. But if those guys are found out a little bit, I do think players like Tapia, Hampson, Daza, you know, and, and even Jose Iglesias, who I know is the, you know, the shortstop now, but they represent that kind of the, the floor of your team, right? And if you're experimenting with these guys, the floor gets lower and lower and lower. Or at least with Ryan Tapia, you know, going out there, he's not going to strike out. He's going to get his base hits. He's not going to go in extended slumps. And, you know, with this new lineup, you can probably even put him and Iglesias down at the bottom of the lineup. So you've got kind of a two-man tandem of contact hitters down there, right? But Hilliard's doing his thing. So it's got, that's in my mind, it's got to be an open competition. We'll see what happens in spring training. Whoever's hitting the best. And I do think they have to go hard in on that. I have said a lot of times throughout the history of covering this team that I really wish that they would go to a pitching and defense first strategy. I do think it's the most sound strategy. But again, back to my analogy, like with the video game or like with if you just got handed the team build, Schmidt has the roster he has in front of him. He had to make the lineup better. And there weren't a ton of players out there who could make the lineup better and make the defense better. Those players are few and far between, and they tend to be super duper stars, right? And so I I just don't know that the option was there to turn uh, the outfield into a great defensive outfield without giving up a ton of offense. One thing I'd absolutely love to see the Rockies do is strategize this game to game. Because if we do get to the start of the season, and all those guys I mentioned before, Tapia, Hampson, Daza, Joe, are all on the roster. I think you've got the opportunity to late in games, like totally change out your outfield. Maybe not Bryant. You probably don't want to ever take him out. But right, bring in Hampson and Daza just for defensive purposes if you're up and and things like that. Like I think they can get really creative with it. So uh, I'm curious to see how all of that's going to go. One last thing that I wanted to mention to keep your eye on and just sort of generally think about, and that is the Hall of Fame. No, I'm not talking about Todd Helton and how he belongs in the Hall of Fame and he's got to get there. But I had this question because I, I had mentioned on, I think, the last podcast and in, in one of the spaces on Twitter, and again, follow at Drew Creaseman. And I was thinking about whether or not Chris Bryant has an opportunity to go on a run for the Hall of Fame here. And I think he does. Like, you know, he's, he's got to be really good for these next seven years. But he's shown an ability to be really good. 
throughout his career. And Coors Field is certainly going to help with some of those counting statistics. And I wondered, you know, one, if that was a part of his thinking at all. Because people go, oh, pad stats. But pad stats for what? You know, he's making his money. He's he's earned his MVP. Another MVP award, I suppose, would be nice. And obviously, everyone wants to win. And he'd love to win another World Series. And yes, I know what I just said about the Colorado Rockies team. But we're going to get over it and keep moving. <laughs> but... Beyond all of that, I did wonder if Chris Bryant thought to himself, like, yeah, man, like, I've got a chance at a Hall of Fame career, and I want to end it here in a place where I think I can get the absolute most out of my bat. And then I got to thinking, I wonder if he would have had that same thought if Larry Walker never got into the Hall of Fame. If those six votes had gone the other way. And that's something I talked about a lot. And, and you know, I make these points occasionally because this is, you know, what I do. And I'm always talking Rockies. And I, I tend to get very passionate about when I, I think they're getting a little bit screwed by the national media. Like Matt Holliday in the MVP in 2007. Todd Helton, far worse than the MVP in 2000. Nolan Arenado should have won an MVP in Colorado. He absolutely should have. And that it took Larry Walker so long to get in the Hall of Fame is a joke. And that he barely got in is disappointing. And when I would talk about those things, invariably somebody out there would say, you know, I don't get why you care about all this stuff. And I don't get why fans should necessarily care about all this stuff. I don't care if the guy wins an MVP. I want the team to win games and that's it. I don't care if they win MVPs. I don't care if they go to the Hall of Fame. You know, it's what do I care about what the baseball writers think about my favorite player? It's my favorite player. And on some level, I totally respect and appreciate that. But the players care. Their teammates care. Their coaches and managers care. They really do. And this was something that was even talked about. And I tried not to make a big deal about it because so many people were just so upset. And I don't think anyone was going to hear it. And I don't think it was the right time for Dick Monfort to say it. But in the aftermath of the Nolan Arenado trade, it might have even been, I think, in the press conference where we were talking about that specifically. You know, he mentioned... Nolan feeling like he didn't get a fair shake in awards voting and maybe even one day for the Hall of Fame because he was a Rocky. And I think that that's 100% true. I, I know guys have felt that way. I know I've talked to a lot of Rockies ballplayers over the years, and I don't know that I've ever talked to any of them who don't think that the Rockies are treated unfairly by the national media and oftentimes the local media. But then the Larry Walker thing happened and it changed part of the conversation. Essentially, it became, well, playing for the Rockies doesn't mean you automatically can't get into the Hall of Fame, that your entire career will for sure be underrated. Now, his entire career still is underrated, but, you know, and obviously Bryant gets to bring with him all of the success that he had in Chicago. So there's there's lesser than that. But I just wondered about that because it's, you know, we... We don't know how much these things matter or don't matter. And it might not be the case that Chris Bryant came here thinking about the Hall of Fame at all. Though I know that players of his caliber think about the Hall of Fame while they're playing. I know they do. So, the way the media talks about the team matters. The image of the team matters. And that's why I go out and tweet things like I did yesterday... I saw a lot of people taking it as though I was saying, hey, here come the Rockies, they're world beaters now. Because I basically said, you know, just for the record, 
The Rockies gained money in the Nolan Arenado deal. Now, they just gave it all to Chris Bryant, but it's, it's true. They, they actually made money. They get draft picks for Trevor Story. They didn't come anywhere close to losing 100 games last year. Their bullpen blew 30 saves. They've got one of the best starting pitching rotations they've ever had. And they do have a lot of young talent on this team that's in a position to break out and emerge. Like Ryan McMahon, Brendan Rodgers. I would argue some of the pitching. So, I understand why on Twitter... A comment like that is is read to say, oh man, this guy is saying the Rockies are going to be awesome this year. Of course, anyone who listens to the show or, or reads the content or any follow-up conversation will know that that is not my position, that the Rockies are going to be world beaters this year. And somebody else, you know, even said, in, in kind of a funny way, is like, man, are you, are you trying to give me hope about the Rockies? And I said, you know, hope and cynicism are two sides of the same coin that I try to stay away with. I I have no interest in building up your hopes about the Colorado Rockies because they may be dashed, and that sucks. I also have zero interest whatsoever in building up your cynicism toward the Colorado Rockies for rage clicks or so that we can make jokes and memes and dunk on people. Because as much fun as that can be at times, it also leads to a place where the majority of people think that the Rockies lost money on the Nolan Arenado deal, which is factually untrue. I believe it is important that we work from the same basic set of verifiable facts. The Rockies starting rotation isn't terrible. There are numbers for this. They're quite, quite good when you look at any park-adjusted statistic. Right, The Rockies didn't get nothing for Trevor Story. They get a draft pick. They don't get nothing for Nolan Arenado. They got five baseball players and $148 million. They weren't a joke last year. They won 74 ballgames. Well, 74 is not... Again, I had a lot of people clapping back at me on that one. I get, oh, what do you think? 74 ballgames is a great number? No, I just know that it's about 20 more than you thought they were going to win than most people thought they were going to win, than Vegas thought that they were going to win. And it wasn't because they got lucky. In fact, if anything, they got pretty damn unlucky with the performance of their bullpen and the fact that certain young players didn't really start to make their impact until the second half of the season, particularly a guy like Brendan Rodgers, for example. So I get it. And I am still not projecting the Rockies to be a postseason team this year yet. I don't think. I Again, I don't make my official predictions until we've played some spring training and I can really get you know a sense of where the team is at. And it's going to be a tighter window this year. Everything's a little bit more condensed. And I'll give you my full-on predictions when we get there. But this team's not world beaters. They're not going to be favorites to win the division. Any of that stuff. Not what I'm saying whatsoever. But we do have to work on a basic set of facts so that way people aren't incredibly confused and baffled when the Rockies do things that make perfect, logical, straightforward sense. The problem is that too many people convince themselves that the nightmare, and I'm happy to call it, I'm not happy to call it that, but I am calling it that, the nightmare of the way that the Nolan Arenado and Trevor Story situation ended had something to do with who the Rockies intrinsically are. And that's why people are so baffled right now. Because what the Chris Bryant signing shows is that it, that's just not true. 
It wasn't about being cheap. It wasn't about institutional philosophies. They screwed up their personal relationships with those two players, and they ought to be criticized for that. They ought to be flambéed for that. But that has nothing to do with what Bill Schmidt's trying to do, building now, moving forward. He can't go back in time. None of us can. Let's live in the present. Let's live in the now. People don't have to go back and admit that they were wrong, but they can recognize that the Chris Bryant acquisition makes a ton of sense based on everything that Bill Schmidt has said and done since he took over as the GM. It was never about Lol Rockies. Two players with a lot of power and a lot of ability decided they were out. Simple as that. It's time to move on. I'll be moving on. I'm going to be down in spring training here in a few days. I'm going to be very excited to get to talk with Chris Bryant and lots of other guys on the team, get caught up with some of these guys. I haven't, I haven't talked to some ball players in, in face-to-face at least in two years. A lot of these guys I've talked to on Zooms. A few have had you know one-on-one conversations over Zoom calls, but haven't really been able to talk to anybody face-to-face in quite some time. So at the end of this week, I'll get to be doing that, getting some one-on-ones, hopefully some good content for the podcast as well. Got to figure out the microphone situation so I can get you some nice quality uh, sound from inside the clubhouse. But beyond that, just very excited that there's baseball going on and we're going to get to break all this stuff down and talk about these players and continue to evaluate because there's a, a lot of intrigue here. Uh, like I was talking about, all of a sudden the Rockies have kind of a glut of outfielders. You know, I, I still think even with Chad Cool in tow that Peter Lambert and Ryan Rollison are going to be battling for that fifth rotation spot as well. I think that guys like Colton Welker, Ryan Vallade, and Eli Harris Montero are going to be in a knockdown dragout fight for that final rotation spot. There's real talent, or uh, I'm sorry, roster spot. So there's a lot of fun talent here to be watching i'm going to keep you up to date with all of it over the next couple of days and weeks i hope you'll hang out here on mile high sports podcast network i hope you'll take all the reading content in is that what they call it written content reading content reading material in at milehighsports.com hang out with me on twitter at drew creaseman and otherwise just continue to be absolutely awesome out there you know that i will continue to be absolutely drew creaseman in here and until next time i will see you at the ballpark